0: Good evening and welcome to RMU Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Sports Takeover. I'm Matt and with me is Chris, so let's get started. We're going to start in Major League Soccer and some playoff updates. Round 1 has been completed. Round 2 is halfway completed. Uh, Chris, where do we stand right now?
1: Well, round 1 was a real doozy, Matt. Three of the four lower seeds in round 1 advanced to round 2. Those three seeds being number 6 seed, Real Salt Lake, number 5, Portland, both in the west, In the East, number five, Columbus, and number three, New York City FC got it done. The only team that actually got it done that was supposed to get it done was New York FC. Right now, in the first leg of the second round, they're they're the only team that's not getting it done, actually. We see the current um, playoffs as it stands right now. Sporting KC versus Real Salt Lake are 1-1 in their first game. Seattle and Portland, Portland has the advantage 2-1 after the first game. Columbus crew and New York, Columbus has the advantage one nothing, and then Atlanta is up one nothing right now in New York FC. So some surprises so far.
0: Yeah, so I think for me the biggest surprise is Real Salt Lake is a team that I really wasn't a fan of heading into the first round. Um, but here they are in one of the better positions for a lower seed uh, halfway through the second round. So they're certainly in a much better uh, spot than I expected them to be. D.C. United was a big surprise for me, too. Yeah, I they, agree with that. They had a lot of momentum going into the playoffs, and, I mean, that's the time to get hot. That's the time to to get things, um, kind of everything firing on all cylinders, and they had that. They were un- unbeaten in their five last five games going into the postseason, but they fell in pounding kicks to Columbus. Um, and you said it here through leg one of round two, the the top seeds aren't doing a lot. Uh, the Red Bulls are down against the Columbus Crew, Seattle's down against Portland, and New York City, uh, oh, I t- I'm sorry, Atlanta is up on New York City, um, but then Sporting KC is tied with Real Salt Lake. Um, so certainly the top teams here not, um, not performing the way we thought they would uh, early here in the second round. I think some, some of these teams can turn that around. I think the Red Bulls can certainly turn that around against Columbus. Um, they're a very good team at home. Uh, they won 14 of their 17 regular season games in their uh, stadium so I think that bodes well for them here uh, in the second leg of round two Atlanta I like them to hold on against New York um, they're up one nothing right now New York City is a strong home team and they took the loss in the first leg weak on the road so I like Atlanta there Sporting KC and Real obviously tied that one could go either way But, again, you're looking at a team that's uh, pretty solid at home. Real Salt Lake has 11 road losses of their 17 in the regular season, so certainly not uh, their strong suit playing on the road. And Seattle and Portland, I still like Portland. Portland's got momentum going from the first round. They carried it over into the first leg of the second round, so I kind of like them to keep it going. Um, Keep in mind the tiebreaker after two games uh, is road goals. So in the event that we see teams split in terms of win-loss and even split in terms of goals scored, road goals will come into play as the tiebreaker.
1: Yeah, one of the interesting things, too, is that of the three, three of the four lower teams that all advanced, they're all either winning or tied currently through the first leg. So they've definitely taken that momentum from their first-round victory, used it in the first leg of the second round. Don't know if they'll keep it up, but it's at least interesting and in putting pressure on the upper teams right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, leg two will be completed by Sunday, uh, and then the next round will begin next week. Moving on, we're going to look at college basketball. Their season is getting ready to start. That time off. of the year. That's right. So, we're going to take a look at the top 25. So, just some notables here. Kansas comes into the season ranked at number one. Defending champ Villanova comes in at number nine, and runner-up Michigan comes in at number 19. Kentucky sits at number two, but boy, did they take a beating last night to number four Duke, 118-84 to they lost. I don't see them holding on to that number two ranking for very long, but Duke at number four certainly put themselves in a good position moving forward. Gonzaga sits at number three. Virginia, one of the top seeds from last year in the tournament, comes in at number five. Tennessee's at six. Nevada was a big surprise for me they come into the rankings at number seven they were a number seven seed in the tournament last year so
1: well the number seven is very lucky that's
0: right high expectations for Nevada coming into the season a couple other big jumps Syracuse comes in at number 16 they were an 11 seed in the tournament last year so again some big expectations there for them but they had a good tournament last year right uh, and LSU hasn't made the tournament since 2015. They start the season ranked number
1: 23. Preseason rankings are always interesting to me, whether it's college football or college basketball. You don't have a ton to base it off of, especially in basketball. You see so many teams losing many starters, even entire lineups, You know, with the draft only requiring freshman year to be completed. So you really have to base it off of just, I guess, what the scouts say, a lot of pure gut because you haven't seen – any combination of these guys on the floor, I mean, Duke, for instance, has four freshmen that had um, more points last night than Kentucky. Their four freshmen scored 86, Kentucky scored 84. That was really big. But three of those guys start in the five, which we didn't see at all last year. You have seniors rotating in and out. It's very interesting to see how the rankings go. I was thought it was kind of weird, though, that Villanova's nine after winning the championship. They were a one seed last year in the tournament. They didn't really look bad at all. They won the championship. You expect them to be at least in the top five. And on the flip side of that, Virginia, who lost to a 16 seed. Yes, Virginia is a good team, but you have to imagine losing to a 16 seed can't put you in any kind of good place going forward. And yet the committee that does the polls thinks that they should be a top five team. So that's very interesting. Also, one other thing to note, number one, Kansas played number 10, Michigan State, last night. Kansas won 92-87. The score is a little bit closer than the game was. For the majority of the game, it was around 10 points. Kansas consistently had the lead. So them being number one makes sense. Duke looks really strong
0: yeah they do and just to make another point about Duke you talked about the amount of freshmen that they have they lost their top five scorers from last year they're all gone entire starting lineup yeah pretty much Um, and then those freshmen R.J. Barrett is projected to be the number one overall pick come NBA draft season obviously that's a long ways away and a lot can happen between now and then but that just kind of gives you an idea of why Duke is still in that top five despite losing that many pieces from last year so we'll see what that brings For Duke, and then these top 10 teams are getting tested right off the bat, which is kind of exciting, Mm -hmm. Um, and it certainly kind of not clarifies things because it's so early, but it certainly gives you an idea of where some teams are. Duke with a huge win last night. Uh, We have a finals rematch on Wednesday, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but Villanova and Michigan meet right off the bat this year, and then you talked about the game last night as well.
1: When you have 30 games, around 30 games or so in the regular season conference tournament, the early games, yes, they're important, but I don't know that there are any kind of indicators. Kentucky can still become a 25 and 5 team at the end of the season. Obviously, playing Duke is very tough at the beginning of the year, but giving up 118, that's the most that Kentucky has ever given up under Calipari. And giving up to wow. Duke is incredible. And also, another note about Duke um, freshman forward, Zion Williamson. Steve Kerr kind of essentially compared him to LeBron James, actually. He said he really hasn't seen a guy, like, he thought there was only one of James. Williamson looked very strong last night I mean he's a guy that's like he's a unit he's like six seven about 300 some pounds he moves like he's a guard he's a guy I've seen actually rise throughout kind of high school kind of that was where I first started seeing him with um, LaMelo Ball they were kind of projected as the best players going into college obviously Ball took a different path but Williamson definitely is as strong as he looked in high school and Really looks like he can be a top-five pick if he keeps up these kind of performances.
0: Yeah, it's definitely some exciting teams and some exciting players. And I think the most exciting thing about college basketball is that you look at college football, and those rankings make a big difference because those rankings determine who gets to be in the the playoff. Mm -hmm. But you look at the rankings for college basketball, 64 teams get into the tournament come March. So whether you're number one or you're unranked, I mean, the biggest thing is get in the tournament, and we'll see what happens from
1: there. And so, Like you said, you had teams like Nevada and Syracuse that were 7-11 and 11 seeds this year now moved into the top 15 in the rankings. So a lot can happen without the ranking meaning much.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we'll stay in basketball, but we'll shift focus to the professionals. NBA news. There's some drama in the Western Conference. We're going to start oh, with yes. the Los Angeles Lakers. A little bit of tension, it seems, between Magic Johnson and Coach Luke Walton. Chris, thoughts on that?
1: So the Lakers aren't off to a great start. Currently, they sit at four and six. It's not great. It's not the worst. You know, they're not doing so hot for how the Western Conference is. Magic Johnson, owner of the Lakers, took exception to the way that Luke Walton, head coach, is treating the team right now. Essentially, the other night after a loss, Magic Johnson pulled Walton to his office and just yelled at him. Walton tried to give her a bottle, and Magic Johnson said, no, don't interrupt me. I'm still yelling at you. And then he came out the next day and said, oh, no, Luke Walton's job is fine. I don't understand that at all. How are you going to pull a guy into your office, give him a stern talking to, a yelling at, and then say the next day, oh, everything's fine, don't worry about it. Clearly everything's not fine if you're pulling your coach into the office, not four weeks into the season to yell at him.
0: Yeah, it's certainly an interesting situation, and it's so early in the season, and I don't necessarily know why that's something that he felt needed to take place. I mean, I understand some frustration early on, four and six, they're tied for 10th in the Western Conference right now, but... I mean, you've got the best basketball player in the world on your team, new to your team, so there's going to be an adjustment period. The majority of that team is very young, so there's going to be an adjustment period for them there as well. But Luke Walton is a guy who was an interim head coach for Golden State uh, back in 2015-16 regular season. He went 39-4. and I know that was a really, really good Warriors team, but as a head coach, he's proven in the past that he can get it done. Small sample size, sure. Um... But I mean like I said there's an adjustment period and regardless of who's on your team and what your expectations are you have to out of an 82 game season you would think that you would have patience for more than 10 games
1: all right and LeBron was the big addition they made in the offseason 2010 was the first year LeBron went to Miami they started off nine and eight made the finals 2014 was the first year he went back to Cleveland they started off eight and seven made the finals Obviously, four and six, not as good as those two records. There's still time for them to reach there. But clearly, teams where LeBron is heralded to be the savior, the end-all, be-all, they didn't always start off on the right foot. But over time, they managed to work it out. It doesn't help that Rajon Rondo and Brandon Ingram had a few game suspensions, though, from their altercation earlier in the year. So when you have two big players on your team that are in the starting lineup not playing, it kind of puts more stress on some role players. Lonzo Ball is still not 100%. He had surgery in the offseason. There's still a lot of pieces from the figure out, and I don't know that yelling at your head coach is the best way to figure it out right now.
0: Yeah, and I love that you mentioned that point about the starts LeBron has had with the other teams recently um, because I think the biggest difference between those teams and this Lakers team is the expectations. When he went to Miami, for sure the expectation was we're going to go to the finals and we're going to win. Mm-hmm. When he went to Cleveland, maybe not quite as much, but I think the expectation was still that the East was the weaker conference and that LeBron on your team automatically makes you the favorites in Los Angeles that's not necessarily the case because you still have Golden State in the west. So, yeah, the record isn't quite as good as even those subpar starts were in Miami and Cleveland, but the expectation isn't the same either.
1: Yeah, and so right now the Lakers, like you said, were said 4 and 6. Above them in the division, Sacramento and LA are both 6 and 4. Golden State is 10-1, and one. so obviously I think everybody thinks Golden State is going to be the team at the end of the season that's in that division, but nobody really thinks that the Clippers or Sacramento are a team that are going to compete, so there's still a lot of room for the Lakers to move, and you mentioned it. The West is stronger, in fact, than the East, so the fact that LeBron's being put into a new situation playing more difficult teams, I don't think it's bad for them. I think they just need to take a book out of Aaron Rodgers, relax.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, that... When LeBron got back to Cleveland, th- David Blatt didn't last all that long. And now here he is with a new team, and again, the coach is under fire. I don't know if that's a, a sign of things to come. or And I'm not saying that LeBron is directly involved with that either. No. But I just think it's interesting that – this is this seems to be a trend for him when he goes to places because even Eric Spolstra, he wasn't let go in Miami but there was certainly um, a lot of call for his job or scrutiny mm-hmm. for him when LeBron was in Miami as well. It's just interesting the way that as LeBron goes, criticism for the head coach seems to go as well.
1: Yeah, it's all well as I thought when he was in Cleveland. LeBron kind of was half the coach. Obviously, for sure. We see Ty Lue's gone now. I don't know if he's really half the coach yet because L.A. is not his city. Cleveland was his city. He was the Akron kid playing in his hometown, essentially, of Cleveland. He was the one that ran that team. L.A., it's kind of the big time, not exactly the same situation as we saw in Cleveland. So definitely some interesting things from the Lakers. Staying in the NBA, though, and in the Western Conference, Oklahoma City right now is a team that is sitting 5-4, 3rd and 3rd third third division. The other night, Russell Westbrook took a nasty, nasty spill. It's only an ankle sprain, but still – it looked like it could have been a broken ankle. What are your thoughts on that, Matt?
0: Big trouble for OKC, that's for sure. I mean, this is the guy who's carried this team since Kevin Durant left. Um, you said he's, he left the game with the ankle sprain. He's out for the game tonight. X-rays came back negative, so we'll see um, what, what happens there. Basically what happened was he kind of came down, landed on Anthony Davis's foot, rolled his ankle, and that was the end of, uh, of that game for him. Um, but certainly in a competitive Western Conference, Oklahoma City needs him. Um, Like I said, he's an MVP caliber player. Um, He's the reason that that team has stayed relevant in recent years. If it's a short-term injury, they'll be fine. They'll be okay. They're not a bad basketball team. But if it's a long-term injury, I mean, that's something that keeps the thunder out of the playoffs in my eyes.
1: Yeah, especially for how competitive the Northwest division is. Last year the Northwest saw four teams make the playoffs. This year, Oklahoma City's in third place. Portland is eight and three ahead of them. Denver is nine and one ahead of them. Utah is four and six behind them, but I don't think anybody's gonna count them out yet. So when they play in such a highly competitive division, yes, it's good that they kept Paul George, but like you said, since Durant's gone, Westbrook has been the guy one season he averaged a triple double. That's unheard of. The fact that he is he missed a beginning of the season too, I think one or two games, now missing here. Yeah. Kind of shows he's a little bit injury-prone. Don't really necessarily want that so early in the season for how competitive their division is going to be. One thing about OKC, though, they did start 0-4, and they are on a five-game winning streak, which is good for them. But how much can they really do if Westbrook keeps getting injured like that? I don't know.
0: Right, and you talk about an 0-4 start, and we also said that he was hurt at the beginning of the season. So you're not winning basketball games while he's there. He comes back. He's healthy. He's playing. You go on a five-game winning streak. You are winning basketball games with him in the lineup. Now he's gone again. What happens to that? I just I think it's interesting for OKC. I don't think it's a good thing for OKC if it's long-term.
1: Yeah, so for OKC, hopefully he gets back as soon as possible. Uh, shifting
0: gears now to the National Hockey League, they been quite quite a few headlines here oh yeah a new agreement and some new coaches let's start with the agreement we talked last week about their betting agreement with MGM now it's FanDuel FanDuel is on board with the NHL and they've partnered with the New Jersey Devils to be another sports betting partner they will be the official daily fantasy sports partner of the NHL in a deal similar to that of
1: MGM what are your thoughts on this one Chris once again more good i think for the nhl more brand exposure helps get their name out there partnering with FanDuel kind of blocks out other daily fantasy sports like DraftKings or yahoo daily fantasy what have you but still the fact that they're getting out there in the industry is very good for the sport because there's a lot of people that like fantasy just for the value of fantasy they couldn't care what sport it is so now that you integrate the nhl into it it's good i thought it was interesting that they partner with the devils again because the devils now have they have another partnership with another firm somewhere before that the MGM deal came out, actually, I guess because Atlantic City's out that direction, but still, I think it's interesting that the Devils are the team that these companies are choosing to partner with out of all 31 in the league, but once again, I think it's just good for the NHL overall. Well, the sports
0: betting is, is legal in New Jersey, so that's where a lot of that comes from, is they're going to go to the team that's in New Jersey. Um in their agreement with the devil, specifically, they will get exposure during home regular season games via an in-ice logo. So I take that as a logo in the ice, kind of like those other advertisements mm. that we've seen put into play this year, some below the goal line and then some around center ice. So I don't know where it will be located, but it sounds like it's going to be actually on the ice, which is certainly a place you want to be. That's, that's yeah, If that's there's one time. place that everyone's looking during the game, is going to be on the ice, so you're certainly going to – get your money's worth being there. Um, Gary Bettman, a quote, one of the quotes that he had from his interview about this, um, said that it's an innovative opportunities for fan engagement. And you talked about fans love betting on sports. Fans love any kind of fantasy game that they can play. Um, So for the NHL to be able to jump into this, benefit from this, um, and obviously they're far removed from that lockout in the early 2000s, but I still think there's some effects of that. I still think that you lose some of your popularity from that, that you haven't totally gained back. Anything that you can do to get fans involved and get fans engaged and get fans paying attention to your sport and your league is going to be good for
1: the NHL. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's anything bad yet. Obviously, these are new deals. Not a lot has unfolded, but so far it sounds like it's good for fantasy owners, fantasy players, good for the companies making these deals, and most importantly, good for the NHL. I like the deals. We'll see where these move on in the future. Staying in the NHL, though, some teams and players that will be moving on are the Chicago Blackhawks and LA Kings. Over the past week, Joel Quinville, the longest tenure coach in the league, was fired by the Chicago Blackhawks, and John Stevens was fired by the LA Kings. What are your thoughts on those deals, Matt? Interesting.
0: Very interesting. Uh, let's start with Los Angeles. Their head coach was John Stevens. Uh, off to a 4-8-1 start this year, dead last in the NHL in goals scored. Um, The thing that I thought was weirdest about this firing is that it came after a 4-1 victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I get that 4-8-1 and the worst offense in the NHL is cause for concern, Um, but after a 4-1 win just seems like an odd time to me. Um, But anyway, John Stevens was not the head coach for the Kings' two Stanley Cup victories, but he was an assistant coach. Um. So he has won two Stanley Cups with the L.A. Kings in some capacity. Uh, last year they made the playoffs. They had a record of 45-29-8. It's a solid regular season, but they were swept in the first round by the Vegas Golden Knights. I believe they scored three goals in four games. Yeah. I think they only gave up seven. So yeah, the, def- the low-scoring series. Yeah, about the that. defense was outstanding in that series, but the offense was non-existent, obviously. And we're seeing the same issues this year, even with the addition of Ilya Kovalchuk. Um, This is the second-oldest team in the NHL, though. And when they were winning Stanley Cups, it was a team that played a physical brand of hockey, which was successful in the Western Conference and successful in the league overall at that time, in 2012 and 2014. The game has moved on from then. The game is now faster. There's more skill. It's younger. So to have the second-oldest team and kind of that team that still has that physical brand of hockey... To me, the coach isn't the problem. To me, the team is the problem. And the team isn't on the coach to change. It's on management to change. You need to bring in younger players, more skilled players, get rid of the bruisers, if you will, and kind of adjust to the way the game of hockey is being played. I, I personally think that this team, regardless of who the coach is, is not a playoff team.
1: No. Like you said last year, they got swept in the first round. So if you want to you know, count that as regulation games to this season – 4 12 and 1 in their last 17 games. That's bad. That's really bad. Stevens was only in his second year though of being the head coach. So, and like you said, it was after a 4-1 victory. Clearly there was something about him that the upper management did not like cuz a win be like okay, he's good for now, you know, next loss he's getting the X. If you're going to get fired after a 4-1 victory, there's been definitely some talks about this brewing for quite a while. You said they're one of the oldest teams in the league, adding 30-something-year-old Ilya Kovalchuk does not help your team get any younger.
0: Especially when he hasn't played in the NHL in four or five years? Yeah,
1: it's been a few years since he's been here, and he's only gotten older since then. He's, you know, he's a good scorer. But when you have so many teams being so fast now, so quick, speed is the name of the game, it's hard for these guys to keep up. Playing a physical brand of hockey really wreaks havoc on your body too. You know, that was um they're 4 years removed from their last cup 6 years from their first cup so they have a lot of playoffs in between then not a lot of time to rest when you're playing tough physical hockey it's going to take a bigger toll on you you might be a 34 year old player but you know be 35 or 36 from all your injuries we've seen this year Jonathan Quick has actually been injured tw- 2 or 3 times when he's played he hasn't been great so you see a lot of players on this team veterans like Anze Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Drew Doughty they're not really the ones that are going to do it for you anymore I, don't, like, I agree with you. I don't know that it's on Stevens. He can realize, okay, this team is old and slow, but how much he can really do to stop or help that, I don't think is in his control a lot.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because there's kind of a lot of layers to this team. You talked about playing extra hockey when you're winning Stanley Cups and you're playing that physical brand. Well, keep in mind, a lot of those years that they didn't win the Stanley Cup, they were losing in the Western Conference Final right. to Chicago. So even though you're not going as far as you can go. In hockey, you're almost going as far as you can. So for a lot of years there, they weren't getting any extra break. They were playing pretty much all season. Um, You talk about the coach, and maybe he was on a short leash because there was something they didn't like about him. Rob Blake is the general manager. I believe he's fairly new as the GM. So it's very possible that although Stevens has been with this organization for quite a number of years, you bring in a new GM, and that changes the dynamic, and that's part of where you see... Um, Stevens go and injuries you mentioned as well this year with quick well last year Jeff Carter was injured and Jeff Carter was a big piece of the Stanley Cup runs that the Kings made Um, so when you lose a guy like that last year he's not available to you in the playoffs your offense suffers that's part of the reason so obviously two guys being injured for you know a, a short stretch isn't defining of your team but that certainly there's like I said there's just there's a lot of layers to this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Rob Blake, actually, this is only his second year being the general manager, okay, too. So he go. came in with Stevens, and yet he, I guess he had the final say in the matter. Another team that we mentioned before that lost their coach, the Chicago Blackhawks, I feel like it's another mirror image of the Kings. Joe, Joel Quinville was the longest tenure coach in the National Hockey League. He brought Chicago three Stanley Cups in five years, and he was fired. I don't think it was his fault. The team is old, like the Kings— They've been playing a lot of hockey in the playoffs. Last year was the first year and I think, about a decade or so that they missed the playoffs. So, obviously, they're on the downtrend. This year, they're sitting around 500, But still, I don't know that it's necessarily Quinville's fault. I think fans of Chicago would agree he was really beloved and obviously a good coach if he was longest tenured in the league.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way with this one as I am with, with Stevens in L.A. Uh, they were 6-6-3. Six, six, So it's a slow start. I get that. They missed the playoffs last year. They got swept in the playoffs the year before. But again, I still think it's more the team than it is the coach, because Joel Quenville is a fantastic coach. In his uh, time in Chicago, he was 452, 249, and 96. That's a pretty solid record. 76 and 52 in the postseason with three Stanley Cups. In his NHL career, he has 890 wins, 532 losses, 77 ties, 137 losses in overtime. So, again, a very good record. Not many losing seasons across his time in the NHL. I want to say in about 20 seasons, he only missed the playoffs, I think, twice. So it's – three times, okay. So it's certainly a coach who's had a lot of success. Um, But you're you're looking at a team that, in my opinion – did things the right way. They went all in. They did what they needed to do to stay under the salary cap. They won three Stanley Cups in 5 years, 6 years. Three cups it's, in 6 no,
1: it was 5 years. It was 10, 13 and 15.
0: Yeah, that's that's 6 years. Right. Regardless, it's a team that built it's a it's an organization that built a winning team, took advantage, and now you're on the decline and you're going to deal with a decline. That's just the way it goes. They've they've had to shed salary. They've had to lose guys that they didn't necessarily want to lose but you have to know that that day is coming at some point. You can't expect these guys to play at the same level for an entire decade or longer. I mean, they they did what you would want to do if you're a team. Build a contender, win win cups, in my opinion, build a dynasty. Yeah. And then you're going to you're not fall apart. They're still there. But to me, getting rid of the coach that got you to that point isn't the answer.
1: I mean, you can only be at the top for so long. It's only a matter of time before things start to happen. Last season, they made some questionable trades, in my opinion. They sent Artemi Panarin to the Blue Jackets. Did not agree with that trade. They sent um, backup goalie Anton. For- no, they got Forsberg. Who they sent to the Hurricanes? They made a trade. Scott for- Darling. Yeah. Okay. Backup. Scott goalie. Darling. Yeah. Sent Scott Darling to the Hurricanes. So, which I did not agree with too, for how much Corey Crawford seen injury. So when you have these kind of questionable trades, now once again, a team that's getting old, you've seen Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tate, Duncan Keith, they've been here this whole ride. So it's about, you know, around, we'll say 10 years that they've been on the team. And they've played, once again, a lot of hockey in the playoffs, making several Stanley Cup runs, several deep playoff runs, even where they didn't make the cup. I don't think it's his fault. I think they should have just let him go all out on his own terms, because clearly he was not the problem.
0: Yeah, and you've I've kind of seen Chicago revert to their old ways in the sense that they they're bringing back players that were good at the beginning of their dynasty. So they brought back Brandon Sod in that deal yeah. for Timmy Panera. Not that he's a bad player, but it's a player that you were willing to part ways with that now you're trying to bring back. Um, they brought back Patrick Sharp is another one. He went to Dallas for a little bit. He's comes back in his late 30s and doesn't perform the way he did in 2010 obviously and understandably so and we see them bring in chris kunitz who has had good seasons with the pittsburgh penguins and their stanley cup runs but again you're looking at a guy who went to tampa last year wasn't great now you're bringing him in it's they're trying to bring in these veteran guys, save some salary, give them, you know, cheaper contracts, and see if they can rekindle some of their magic from years past, and it's not working out that way for them. To me, that's not on Quinville, On Quenville. That's, that's management bringing in those, those players that are past their prime.
1: And right now, with those two, with Quinville being fired, the longest-tenured coach is John Cooper, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who was hired in 2013. So the longest-tenured coaches we're seeing right now in the NHL, five and a half years or less. That's not really that long in terms of coaching, I don't think. When you see NFL coaches go for 10, 20 years even, or uh, baseball coaches go for 10 to 15 years. So the NHL is definitely changing.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Um, So this just got me thinking a little bit. He's won three Stanley Cups. The Kings were a team that were winning Stanley Cups. Both of those coaches are gone now. Active coaches in the NHL that have won a Stanley Cup with the team that they still coach. Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh is the obvious one. Two. We're only a couple years removed from that. There's one more.
1: Do you know who it is? I was trying to rack my brain around it. I said Ken Hitchcock earlier, but I forgot that he's no longer with the team. Who is it, Matt?
0: Randy Carlisle in Anaheim. He won the cup with them in 2007. Really? Left, and now he's back. So the only other coach, active coach in the NHL, that has won a Stanley Cup with the team he's currently with, although he wasn't with them the whole way through, he is currently coaching the team that he won the Stanley Cup with back in 2007. Randy Carlisle.
1: Well, times are changing in the NHL. Right now, we're going to take a short break, but coming up afterwards, we're going to have some hot NFL midseason review and college football. Stay tuned.
2: Givin' up to be pretty odd Little deaths in musical bats I wanna go where everyone goes I wanna know what everyone knows
0: Welcome back to Sports Takeover, Matt and Chris. We're going to shift gears to football now and start with the National Football League. We have a deal to announce here uh, and a midseason report as well. So we'll start with the deal much different than that of the NHL. It's a deal with Fortnite, Chris.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of an interesting one. So the deal between the NFL and Fortnite is that with the purchase of one skin pack in Fortnite, you can get any team jersey, any player number you want on your Fortnite character. Fortnite is a video game for all of you who do not know. Kids love it these days. It's really blown up in the last year. A smart move for the NFL to get involved. Maybe the NFL sees their numbers being a little bit lower than they want them to be. Let's get to an audience that doesn't exactly always watch football. I think it's a good move.
0: I think it's a good move for both sides. For the NFL, you're putting your products in in a place where a lot of people are going to see it, which, of course, any publicity you can get, good publicity, uh, is going to be beneficial to the league. Um, And that's certainly a place where people are going to see it in a positive way. Um, And for Fortnite, this is a free game. They don't charge people to play this game. So the fact that you have to pay to get these uh, team uniforms, that's something that people are going to want to do. So not only do I think it's beneficial for the NFL for people to see their teams and see their jerseys, but it's beneficial for Fortnite because it's going to be another way to drive revenue for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Fortnite actually partnered with Marvel early in the year to get some comic book exclusive skins in the game so fortnite is no uh, rookie at this the nfl however first real big deal they made with somebody else good deal interesting to see where it goes from here
0: yeah for sure um so let's look at a midseason report now every team in the league has played at least half of their schedule some have played eight some have played nine depending on how the bye weeks have worked Um, but we'll take a look here division by division and just hit on some records and some surprises um, and see what we have here moving forward so let's start in the afc east for me, not really any surprise here. New England has won six games in a row. They're 7-2. and two. They're first in the division. Um, I think that's that's what I expected. I think that's what most people expected. The Miami Dolphins have been a little bit of a surprise. They're 5-4. Five, f- five and four. Pretty average. I didn't expect them to be much below average, but certainly a little bit better than I expected. The Jets and the Bills are pretty much right where I think people thought they would be. They're at the bottom of the division. They're at the bottom of the conference. They're towards the bottom of the league. Um, the Jets have been a streaky team. The Bills have just been flat-out bad. Um, but overall, not a lot of surprises there.
1: No, New England got off to a rocky start, 1-2. But sitting at 7-2, top of the division, nothing for them to worry about. Miami, a little bit of a surprise, 5-4 and four right now. They went 10-6 and six to two seasons ago, though, so not a huge surprise. They're a team that has won in the past. And the Jets and Bills, they're not good. They won't be good. They're at the bottom. It's where they belong. Move forward with that. Moving into the AFC North, once again, I feel kind of like it's business as usual. Steelers currently sit at the top, 5-2-1. One. That one tie is going to be an ugly blemish for the whole season, but we'll move past it. Cincinnati sitting at 5-3, and three, maybe a little better than some people thought, but they're a team that, once again, has seen success in the past. Baltimore 4-5, and five, thought they'd be better than that. Cleveland 2-6-1, it's better than they've been as hard as that is to say, yeah. but I wouldn't say it's good necessarily.
0: No, I think the two surprises are the teams in the middle. I didn't think Cincinnati would be that good. I think I had them at five wins for the season, and they're at five wins at the halfway point. Oh, boy. It's just one of those teams that they've been kind of good, they've been there, but they haven't made any noise. And I just feel like at some point, I don't see them taking a step forward, so at some point I just feel like they're going to take a step back, but they haven't yet. Baltimore has really dropped off since a strong start to the season. they still have the best defense in football so certainly I think they'll be right around 500 kind of where I expected them. they're a little bit below right now but I, I think we'll see them in that nine and seven kind of range. We'll have
1: the Joe Flacco effect right there.
0: Yeah yeah
1: manages to find a way for good defenses to turn to average football teams.
0: Uh, AFC South Houston leading the division at six and three the Titans at four and four, Jacksonville at three and five and Indianapolis at three and five. So Houston I had as a playoff team coming into the season. As so well I. I certainly am not shocked at where they're at, especially given the schedule that they've played to this point. Jacksonville surprises me a lot at 3-5. and five. Um, They have a big game coming up against the Colts. Huge. It's a do-or-die kind of game when you're fighting to not be in last place in your division. Um, Jacksonville's got to turn it around here at some point.
1: Yeah, their start is... Very surprising. Last year, they went 10-6, made the conference championship game where they lost to the Patriots earlier in the year. They beat the Patriots, which I thought I picked that game, but most people didn't think that the Patriots would lose to the Jags again. So they go into the season kind of with momentum, now sitting at 3-5. and five. Once again, I think it's like Baltimore. They have a good defense, but not the Joe Flacco effect. This time, the Blake Bortles effect. People heralded him as being average, below average, but he was good enough to get them where they, he got them last year. Not cutting it this year without Leonard Fournette in the games. And you mentioned it's a huge game this week against Indianapolis. They're a team I expected to be around 3-5. and five. They don't really have a lot going for them. Nobody knew what they were going to see from Andrew Luck. Tennessee, around 500. They finished last season at 9-7, squeaked into the playoffs, won the first game. It was good. I don't expect a lot more. They're an 8-8 and team, in my opinion. And Houston, like you, I picked them to win the division at the beginning of the season. The 0-3 start, didn't really like it, but now that they sit at 6-3, they're definitely a strong team moving forward, and I think I'd be afraid if I was any team that has to play them. Moving into the AFC West, I think the biggest surprise in the AFC, Kansas City, 8-1. They have not looked bad in any game, even in their loss. They look strong. The Chargers right behind them at 6-2. Denver, 3-6. They kind of started the season good, but they've obviously fallen off the wagon, and, of course, John Gruden's Oakland Raiders hit at the bottom at 1-7. They're a team that has high expectations just because of the name of Gruden. I don't think anything else about their team indicates it's going to succeed. The Chargers are a team that I picked to win the division at the beginning of the season. They're 6-2. and Their only two losses, being two Kansas City and the Rams. So not bad losses to have. A lot moving forward with the Chargers. I think they're in a good spot.
0: Yeah, so I also had the Chargers winning the division before the season. And sitting at 6-2, and two, they're certainly in a very good spot. But I seriously misjudged both the Kansas City Chiefs and the Oakland Raiders. Patrick Mahomes certainly didn't think he'd be doing what he is right now. That's a big reason that the Chiefs are where they're at. So credit to him and that team, because I certainly didn't see that coming. And I also didn't see John Gruden dismantling the Oakland Raiders coming either. Um, I thought both of those teams would hover around the 500 mark. Um, Obviously, uh, Kansas City, unless something crazy happens, will exceed that margin for sure. Oakland's going to come nowhere near 500 with no. the team that they're putting out on the field right now, um, so it'll be interesting to see where the Chargers fall, with as well as the Chiefs are playing. Might be one of those situations where they finish above some division winners, but still have to play on the road in that first weekend of, of the
1: playoffs. Yeah, it might be interesting for them too. Moving into the NFC, we're going to start in the NFC East. Washington currently leads at five and three. Philly's right behind at four and four. Dallas a little bit further behind at three and five, and the Giants in dead last at one and seven. The bottom two I expected, the Giants, they're a team that has been struggling last year, finished 3-13, and not really. They got a Barkley, but they haven't done a lot with the overhaul of the team. Dallas might be the end of Jason Garrett, who knows. They're a team that has been 500 consistently, not getting it done this year clearly, especially being captioned by a 28-14 loss to the Titans on Monday Night Football at the Jerry Dome. Bad. The Eagles are a little bit of a surprise to me. I expected them to be better than four and four. Of course, Wentz was not there at the beginning of the season, but even so, Nick Foles did good in the Super Bowl. He didn't really do much to start the season, and the Redskins are a huge surprise to me. They're currently five and three leading it. At no point did I ever consider watching them to be a division contender, but here we are at the midway point, and they're leading it.
0: Yeah, I had the Eagles winning the division and everybody else being below 500, so the Redskins are a surprise. Um, the Eagles haven't had the start to the season that I expected, but they're certainly in a position where they can still take that division. The other two teams are right where I kind of figured they would be maybe give the Giants a little bit more credit before the season. I don't think they deserve much of any credit now, um, sitting at the very bottom of the NFL. Um, I think it'll be an interesting race between Philadelphia and Washington, but I don't think the other two are, I mean, the Giants already don't have much of an impact. Um, I don't think the Cowboys will either.
1: All right. Moving into the NFC North. Surprise at the top for me. Chicago five and three. Once again, before the season, didn't expect John Gruden to blow up the team and send Mac to the Bears. He's clearly helped them. Minnesota right behind at five three and one. Green Bay at three four and one, and Detroit at three and five. I really think that Chicago and Green Bay should be flipped. At least of what I thought about going into the season. Chicago has five wins. The team I didn't really expect to be here at this point. Yeah, I expected them to be better than last year, but I expected them to have around eight or I'm five hundred eight and eight. Five and three is a really good start for them. And then you see on the flip side, the Packers are 3-4-1 and one now. You need to get more wins for Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he has a good team around him. I really wish he did, but we saw them make some questionable moves at the deadline that don't really show me where they are going forward with this team either.
0: Yeah, I keep waiting for Chicago to drop off, and they're not doing it. So I'm, I'm excited to see how long they stay at the top of this division. Minnesota has found a way to get themselves back on track after a slow start. Green Bay has not. And Detroit is not out of it, but with the teams that we have in this division, I think they're taking themselves out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Green Bay has to do something in a hurry. And like you said, their trades, to me, send them in the wrong direction, the same direction that they're already going in. So I think this could turn into a two-team race quickly. Minnesota is my preseason pick to win the division. I feel pretty good about that at this point. Um, NFC South is an interesting division. The Saints lead it at 7-1. and one. The Panthers at 6-2, and two, Atlanta 4-4, four and four, Tampa Bay 3-5. and five. Tampa Bay, I think, is pretty irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a good start to the season, but their defense is atrocious. They can't decide on a quarterback. It's a good division. I don't think that they're in any position to make a push for this division or even for a playoff spot. Atlanta started off horribly. They've come back. They've bounced back a little bit. But, of course, when you're chasing two teams with a combined three losses, there's not a lot of wiggle room. New Orleans I buy 100%. They've looked good all season. They just signed Des Bryant. They just knocked off the Rams. I think everything that couldn't be going right for the Saints is Carolina's at 6 and 2. I don't like Carolina quite as much as their record suggests. So it'll be interesting I think to see what happens with them.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the Saints. They are 7-1. They finished the season strong last year. They were one defensive tackle away from making the NFC Championship game. They're definitely a team that is built for this year. They're good, very good, adding Des Bryant. Just gives them another dynamic component on offense for Drew Brees to play with, which Drew Brees is having MVP caliber season. Carolina, you don't think they're a 6-2 and two team? Well, me neither. I think they're going to be better than 6-2 and two suggests. Interesting. They're a team that I really liked going into last year in the playoffs. Ran into a very good Saints team. They have two meetings against the Saints later in the season still lined up, so very interesting to see how that sways. Atlanta's a team that started off rocky. Great now at 4-4. Four and four. They made up some ground. I just think for how good the NFC South is, it's just going to be too hard for Atlanta to overcome that. In Tampa Bay, they're a team that is just muddled with bad defense, inconsistent quarterback play from whoever they throw out there. They have one of the top offenses in the league, but they definitely are not one of the top teams in the league. So, And once again, in competitive NFC South, it's going to be hard for them to move up. Lastly, we have the NFC West, which I don't know that there's necessarily any surprises here. The Rams currently stay at the top at 8-1. Unfortunate, heartbreaking loss at the Superdome against the Saints last week. But nonetheless, 8-1 still very strong. Seattle, they're 4-4. Four four. I didn't think that they were going to be an above 500 team this year. I would have said probably about five, six wins going into the season. So the fact they have four now shows how much Russell Wilson has been carrying this team. They don't have a lot of other pieces surrounding him. And then at the bottom, we got Arizona's at 2-6. and six. We've talked about their weird coaching and quarterback issues. They actually cut Sam Bradford this past week, so that whole saga's done with him. And then San Francisco still f- feeling the effects of the Garoppolo torn ACL. They're at 2-7 and seven at the bottom. Neither of those teams really have anywhere to go. Seattle can make a play for the wild card, but it's going to be really tough for them to do so with how good the NFC is, and I think the Rams are just going to keep coasting into playoffs right now.
0: Yeah, the Rams are right where I thought they'd be. So are the Cardinals. Seahawks are a little bit above where I thought they might be at this point, but I don't know that they will compete for a wild card. I think there's other teams there that are just better than they are. The 49ers, obviously, when Garoppolo goes down, that changes the whole outlook on the season. And unfortunately, they're in the basement, and I think that that's where they're going to stay. So certainly some interesting um, division battles as we get down to the second part of the season here. Um, So let's shift focus here to college football for a little bit. Uh, quick recap on the last this past weekend. Basically, LSU took a big hit. Alabama solidified their their spot as number one. Michigan with a huge win over Penn State to solidify themselves as a top five team, and they slide into the top four into a playoff spot for now. Georgia gets a good win over Kentucky to somewhat eliminate Kentucky and boost Georgia. Um, Florida loses to unranked Missouri, 38 to 17 huge hit for them i think that gives them three losses as far as i'm concerned they're done syracuse and nc state jump into the top 15 that won't have an impact most likely on the playoff but it's good for those two schools as we come into this week who do you think can still contend for a playoff spot
1: well you mentioned alabama a uh, shellacking at lsu 29 nothing in death valley they didn't give up any points at lsu it's really hard for me to see any team in all of college football that can beat Alabama. If they can go to LSU against the number three team, not give up any points, score 29, they even covered their own spread. It was a 14 point spread, which is the biggest that LSU was seen at home. Understandably so. Alabama is ridiculous. Clemson, they took care of business against a bad Louisville team, 77 to 16. Jesus, 77 points in a conference game is really strong. Michigan, a very strong physical defensive win, 42-7 over Penn State. That solidifies them. Like we said, they moved in the fourth. I feel like Georgia is a team. Well, Notre Dame, they they beat Northwestern. It was just an average game, whatever. But they're still undefeated. Don't get me wrong, still good. Georgia is a team that has potential. Right now, the SEC championship game with three three weeks left in the regular season is set between Alabama and Georgia. So, in my opinion, Alabama has already made the college football playoff. If Georgia can somehow beat them, I think both teams will get in a similar situation that we saw last year, because I don't think I don't think Alabama's going to lose. Georgia has to beat Alabama for them to get in. That's the only way it's going to work, because if they lose in the conference championship game, that's two losses. Some other teams that might be able to squeak in, I really like UCF. They're still undefeated. I don't know that they're going to, but I really want to see them in there. It'd be really interesting. West Virginia, huge win on the road last week in Texas. They've jumped up into the top 10 now. Another team we see in the top 10, Washington State. Both those teams have one loss Washington State controls their own destiny in the Pac-12. West Virginia has an important showcase against Oklahoma the last week of the regular season. So I feel like that game will be important. But right now, the top four, I feel like it's really hard to crack them.
0: Yeah, so you talked about some of those teams at the top. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, Georgia, I think certainly can definitely get in. Oklahoma, I think, has an outside shot at it. West Virginia and Ohio State, I think, also have an outside shot at it. Um, There's going to be some big games. You talked about Alabama-Georgia. We've talked about Michigan-Ohio State before. Oklahoma will play WVU, like you said. Those games, for me, are going to determine who gets into the college football playoff. But I think that with a win, any of those teams could make a case. You mentioned Washington State. I don't think Washington State can get in, and the reason that I say that is because LSU gets smacked around at home, gives them their second loss on the season, and the college football playoff committee still puts them above Washington State. That's a good point. And the the best game Washington State has left on their schedule is the last game against number 25 Washington. So the best that they can do to make their case is we beat one of the lowest-ranked teams in the top 25. I just think that... With where they're ranked right now and where they're valued by the college football playoff, I don't think that they can get in. And you said UCF. I don't think UCF stands a chance. They are still undefeated. They're ranked number 12. There's two two-loss teams above them. I don't think that those two teams have a chance.
1: But, boy, do I want to see UCF make it, though. I would love to see it, too, but, but it's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, unlike or similar to watching this day, UCF definitely needs an immense amount of help ahead of them. We're running a little short on time this week, so we're just going to move right into Quick Picks. We're going to start in the NFL Thursday night action. We have Carolina traveling to Pittsburgh. I mentioned I think Carolina is better than 6-2. and two. I think they're going to propel themselves to 7-2. and two. I don't think Cam Newton is an easy or even remotely average quarterback to contain. He is extremely difficult. We've seen some lapses in the Steelers' defense. I think him and McCaffrey are going to take control of the game and defeat the Steelers.
0: I am going to take the Steelers. They're at home. Their offense is significantly better than that of the Panthers. They rank fourth in the NFL. The Panthers rank 13th. Defensively, these are two teams are pretty even, but again, then I come back to the offense. And I like the Steelers' offense more. I think the Steelers are more potent, and I think in recent weeks the Steelers have been more consistent. The Panthers find a way to win these games, but for me they just don't do it convincingly. So I'm going to take the Steelers. Jags-Colts is a game that we talked about a little bit ago, the battle for third place in the AFC South. Important battle, though. A very important battle, and especially for the Jaguars, and that's who I'm going to take. They have to turn their season around. After what I saw last year, I feel confident that they're still a good football team that can compete for a playoff spot. If they're going to turn around their season, it has to start this week against the Colts.
1: While you're confident they're a good football team, I'm confident that Indianapolis is a bad football team, so I will go with the Jaguars as well. Very important game, currently both 3-5. Three, three and five. When you have Houston sitting at 6-3, and three, you need every win to count, especially when you're going to see these teams later in the road down in division races. I'm going to take the Jags. Moving into college football, we have number two Clemson traveling all the way up to Massachusetts to play. Newly ranked number 17 Boston College. Surprising that they're in the top 25 right now, but I don't think that number means anything to Clemson. We saw them steamroll Louisville last week. They're undefeated. Nothing that Clemson has shown this year indicates to me that they will have any difficulty playing against Boston College, so I'm going to go with Clemson.
0: Yeah, Clemson's been a title contender here for a number of years. I think this year is the same way. Boston College got into the top 25 earlier in the season, played musical chairs, and fell back out of the top 25, and now they've worked their way back in. But again, I'm like you, I don't think it's going to last. I'm going to take Clemson. Um, another ranked matchup, number 10, Ohio State, and number 18, Michigan State. I'm going to take Ohio State. Um, they need this game. If Ohio State loses again, for all intents and purposes, they're done. Um, so they're going to need to find a way to beat Michigan State. Michigan State's been an inconsistent team at times this year. Um, for that reason, I like Ohio State.
1: So you mentioned Michigan State's an inconsistent team. It's actually why I'm going to pick Sparty here. Ohio State, they have shown some cracks in their armor. They lost to Purdue. They barely beat Nebraska last week. Nebraska sits right near the bottom of the Big Ten. Michigan State has played some important games. They opened the season against Utah State. People didn't really think that was going to be anything. Well, now Utah State is actually ranked ahead of them in the pool. They traveled and beat Penn State unranked at Happy Valley, and they see an Ohio State team coming in that's not been fantastic this year. I have them at home. I'm going to go with Sparty for the upset here. Moving into, well, staying in college, but moving into the basketball realm, we hit it before. There's going to be a rematch of the final from last year. Number 19, Michigan, travels to number 10 or number 9, Villanova. I'm going to go with Nova again. Nothing about them has shown that they are going to be a team that will lose early games, especially at home. you got a rematch. They're ranked higher for a reason. I'm going to go with Nova.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with Villanova as well. You said that they're at home. For me, they're a little bit more of an established team uh, over recent years than Michigan is. Michigan was a little bit of a surprise to me last year. Um, I agree that Nova is ranked higher for a reason. I'm going to take Villanova as well. Uh, NBA game, kind of an interesting one coming up. The Bucs at the Nuggets. These two teams have combined for three losses at this point in the season. Um, I'm going to take the Milwaukee Bucks. Biggest reason, they have the second ranked offense in the NBA right now. The only team that scores more points per game than them is the Golden State Warriors. Both of these teams are boasting top five defenses right now through this early part of the season. Um, but the Bucs have a significantly better offense, so I'm going to take the Bucs.
1: I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. I saw the Nuggets play a fantastic game the other night against the Celtics. They had one of their players put up 48 points. Kyrie Irving took exception to him going for 50. We're not going to worry about that in this game. However, the Nuggets are a team that I didn't think was going to be sitting as high in the standings right now in the season as they are. However, since they're there, they got there for a reason. They have the best players right now in the NBA behind the Warriors in the West. I think that they're going to be able to take the Bucks at home. And lastly, we have an NHL matchup this weekend. The Toronto Maple Leafs travel to the Boston to Boston to play the Bruins. Toronto has a very strong offense. I think that they're going to be able to steamroll whichever goalie Boston decides to put in net, whether it's Jaroslav Halak or Tuukka Rask. I'm going to go with Toronto.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with Toronto as well. In the last week, they've been just a little bit hotter than, than Boston. I think they're a young, talented team, more so than the Boston Bruins. Um, I like the Maple Leafs. Uh, We'll move now into bold predictions to wrap up the show. I'll lead it off in the NFL. Le'Veon Bell, we've heard plenty about him all season long. I don't think he's coming back at, at any point. I was convinced that he'd be back by the deadline to be eligible to play this season. But new information has come out that apparently he can not play at all this year and still be eligible as he wants to be next season. The Steelers have the option to tag him again. Bell will have the option to negotiate freely, which we didn't think he was going to be able to do. Now that it has come out that he will be able to do that, people have found new information out of the CBA that says that he can. To me, if he's going to show up, he would have done it by now. Um, And if he can sit out all season and still get his way for next year, That seems to me like the path he's taking. I don't think Le'Veon Bell will play another game for the Pittsburgh Steelers.
1: Well, he will be playing some more basketball games at the LA Fitness Gym where he was spied this week in Pittsburgh. Very interesting to see what he does there. I'm going to stick in the NFL with my first bowl prediction. I'm going to say the Chiefs. They're not going to win their division. They currently sit at the top. I mentioned before, I like the Chargers a lot. I picked them to win the division. They have one more matchup against the Chiefs. I think the Chargers can do it. It's going to be a very highly competitive division. But somewhere along the lines, the Chiefs are going to fall off. Their defense isn't the strongest. I don't know that Mahomes can put up the fantastic numbers he's been putting up the first half of the season. I'm going to say the Chargers are going to win the division.
0: Those are good points. I like those points. Um, My next one, also in the NFL, uh, the Bills and Jets have a game this weekend. We talked about those (laughs) two teams not being the best of teams. Bad. Bad. Uh, especially offensively. So I'm going to say that their game this weekend will have more turnovers than scoring plays. Scoring plays, of course, being field goals, touchdowns, whatever. The the quarterback matchup is Nathan Peterman against Josh McCown. Nathan Peterman is an interception machine, and Josh McCown is 39 years old. (laughs) Both of these defenses are relevant in the NFL. For as bad as these teams are, they have decent defenses. Turnover margin is a minus 9 for Buffalo and a minus 5 for the Jets. Points per game is 22 for the Jets and 10.7 for the Buffalo Bills. I'm not looking for scoring. I'm looking for turnovers in this game, Chris.
1: Uh, Well, last week we saw the Jets barely put up six against the Dolphins, only get up 13. It's going to be a game of punting, turnovers, lack of scoring, lack of fun. Great bowl prediction. I'm going to stick in college football with my next bowl prediction. Right now, the current top four in the college football playoff, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan. That is the top four we are going to see come the college football playoff. Interesting. I don't think any of these teams are going to lose any of the remaining games they have left in the season. No point for anybody to jump them if they don't lose. I think this is the four we are going to see at the end of the season.
0: Interesting. I like it. Uh, my last one's going to come from the National Hockey League. We've talked about head coaches being let go. I'm going to say that the next professional team to fire a head coach is going to be the Florida Panthers. Uh, Bob Bugner is their head coach. 3-5-3 and three so far this season. They are last in the NHL. Um, they've played two fewer games than every other team somehow, but still, they are <laughs> dead last. 46-35-11 is his uh, record as their coach. The last two coaches, though, that Florida's had is Gerard Gallant, who had the best winning percentage in team history and was still let go without having coached in 200
1: games. Bad decision.
0: And Tom Rowe, who was only the head coach for 61 games, after acting as the GM... Letting uh, Gallant go, stepping in for him, and then being relieved of both GM and coaching duties. So, kind of a short leash here recently in Florida. I'm going to say it continues this year for a team that should be better than they are.
1: Yeah, the Panthers are a team that clearly has the players. They do not have the upper management. Great poll prediction. I can't wait to see what happens with them. My last one's going to travel across the ocean to England. I think that Leicester City... Unfortunately, their boss passed away this past week in a helicopter crash. I think they're going to rally behind that, finish in the top six in the table. Currently, they sit in 10th. They're going to use that momentum of his passing to help propel them into the top six. Look out for Leicester the rest of the season. They're a team that's determined.
0: All right, that's our time for tonight. Thanks for tuning in. RMU Radio and Sports Takeover. I'm Matt. That was Chris. Uh, we will be back next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Thank you for tuning in.